Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Once, I was lost spiritually and physically broken. I was in the hospital with doctors struggling to understand what was wrong with a healthy 30-year-old whose body rejected all food. A life of excess and sin sent my body into toxic overload and left me with eczema so bad that my skin literally burned day and night. The doctor's prescription in the end was a fast. Over the course of four months, I lost 60 pounds and I looked and felt so bad that I did not recognize the kid who grew up in church to Christian parents, the child who had been prayed over and guided by the elders of the church, the accomplished student, the West Point graduate, the guy who could flex his pecs, or even the successful banker. I had traded the truth of salvation and eternal life for the lie that seeking thrills and pleasures and short-term friends and other things not of God would bring happiness. But worst of all, I had substituted my will for God's will. One night, I remember being in such pain that I literally yelled as loud as I possibly could, the most sincere prayer I have ever prayed. Lord, help me. Shortly thereafter, my physical and spiritual health began to improve. And over the next few months, Jesus revealed to me that he had been with me all along. All he wanted was for me to ask for help. He wanted me to realize that I cannot do things alone and that no life is worth living without him. God wanted me to seek his will and not my will. The joy of discovering that he had never left me is indescribable. God so loved me that he used illness to reveal his true intentions and to lead me back into the fold. Today, I can literally say that no life is worth living without him, and living without him leads to destruction. Jesus found me and answered my prayers. My name is Phil Woods. I am loved by God and called to be a saint. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Phil. If you aren't aware, Phil is one of our um, trustees, newly um, elected in April, so he's one of our leaders. And we're thrilled to have him in that role. So it appears that we have our uh, two presidential candidates. 
and nobody's doing backflips right now, right? Um, so we've got Hillary and Donald. And I'm not going to speak for the church. I'm not going to speak for the elders or, or anyone else. This is just my opinion, okay? Um, I got a problem with both of them. And there are things that, that each, there are positions that each of them hold that I really struggle with. And so I'm going to have a hard time casting a vote in November. This can be difficult. Now, why do I bring this up? Is because that's part of what Romans chapter 13 deals with. How do we support a government that we do not agree with? We've been in this, this series for, uh, well, 23 weeks now, uh, called All Roads Lead to Romans, where we've been walking with the Apostle Paul through some of the great questions of life. And for the first uh, 11 chapters, Paul dealt with really nothing more than theology, but answering the questions or, or, or dealing with the questions of, of how sinful people can be reconciled to a, to a perfect God. And we saw that, that, that it's only by, by grace through faith in Jesus. And so we, we looked at all of the questions that, that kind of went with that. When we got to chapter 12, Paul turned a corner. And he, he moved from the, the theology into the practical application. Where, where we begin to, to see what it looks like for us to walk out this life of grace. And in, we saw in verses 1 and 2 that the only appropriate response to what God has done for us in Jesus is to give our lives to Him in total commitment. And as we do that, then, then He begins to transform us and our minds are renewed as we, as we immerse ourselves in the Word of God. And then Paul begins to... to show us then how we walk out this life of total commitment. He talked about the gifts that we have received from God and how we're to use those in loving God and loving others. And then, and then a couple of weeks ago, James walked us through those next few verses of chapter 12 where, where Paul talks about sincere love and the aspects of that. And last week we saw that the, another aspect of sincere love is that we are not vengeful people. We are not to repay evil with evil, but we're to allow God to exact vengeance. It, you know, God says, it is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that brings us to Romans chapter 13. So here's the question I want us to begin with. Biblically speaking, what is the primary role of government? And how are we as Christians to respond to our government? It's not a small issue in the Bible. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it in First Peter two or First First Timothy two. Paul didn't write Peter. Um, Paul talks about it in First Timothy two. Peter talks about it in First Peter two, and Paul talks about it here in Romans thirteen. How do we deal with a government that we do not agree with? Should we submit to them? 
And if so, how far should we go? What is our responsibility? Well, in verse 1, Paul tells us what our posture toward government should be. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. The Greek word translated to be subject is the word hupotasso. Hupo means um, to place or under, it means underneath. Tasso means to place. Hupotasso means to willingly put yourself under someone else's authority. It can also be translated as submit. The idea of this word is that we recognize the role as God-given. We respect the role as God-given, and thus we place ourselves under that authority. That's how we are to be with governing authorities. We recognize, we respect, and we submit. Now, when a police officer pulls you over, hypothetically, of course, never happens, but if a police officer were to pull you over... When he comes to the window, you don't ask him if he's been spending time with Jesus, do you? No. You just recognize him. Good afternoon, officer. Uh, You respect him. Yes, officer, I realize I was exceeding the speed limit. No, officer, there was nothing forcing my foot down on that pedal. And you submit to him. Thank you, officer, for that citation. (laughs) Yes, I will slow it down next time. See, we place ourselves under the authority just because we're called to. Let everyone be subject, hupotasso, to the governing authorities. We recognize their position, that it's from God. We respect that it is from God, and we submit to them. You say, well, Keith, what if the governing authority demands that I do something that is contrary to what I know God would have me to do? Good question. If there is a time that we are told to bow down to a golden image, as Nebuchadnezzar told uh, Daniel to do, as he told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do, If there is a time when a government says you cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what the authorities told Peter that he couldn't do. When when that happens, then we are to recognize the authority that is in place. We are to respect the authority that is in place. And we are to say... I will submit to you, but I cannot do what you're asking me to do. Therefore, if you need to throw me into a lion's den, as was the case with Daniel, or you need to, if you put me in a fiery furnace, which was the case with Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, you know, those guys. Or if you need to throw me in prison and whip me, okay. I submit to that, but I can't do what you're calling me to do. That's called civil disobedience. That's what um, Dr. King did in the civil rights. He, he stood up and he said, this is, this is not right. I will not do what you're telling me to do. 
but I will accept the punishment that is due me because of this action. Question. What do all these folks have in common? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Nehemiah, Esther, Ezra, Moses, Daniel, Peter, Paul, and Jesus. They are all great men and women of God who recognized, respected, and submitted to authority. I want you to notice the, the word authority is, is plural, which means that we don't simply respect the king, but we respect the king's agents, which Peter will talk about in a moment. Um, in other words, our, our submission comes all the way down to the traffic cop because that person has been, has been placed in a position of authority that we are to submit to. Now, here's the reason that we submit. Verse 1, For there is no authority except that which, is God, except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You see, government is of divine origin. Where does Paul get it? Well, certainly Jesus believed it. But it goes back further than the New Testament. In, in Psalm 27, it says that the kings of the earth belong to God, that God establishes earthly rulers. And, and if you go back before that, the genesis of human government is found in Genesis chapter 9, where in light of the anarchy before the flood, after the flood, God instituted this thing called government in order to protect and defend humanity who was made in the image of God. Question. Anybody know who, who the Caesar was when Paul writes the book of Romans? Anybody? Nero. Excellent. Nero. Anybody know? Nero was a good guy, right? Nero was terrible. Now, granted, when Paul writes this, it was most likely before Nero set his city on fire and, and started using Christians as torches to light his garden parties. But nevertheless, Nero was a bad man. He was an oppressive and tyrannical ruler. And Paul writes this book while Nero is in power, effectively saying that Nero was God's servant. He isn't saying that Nero is a particularly good servant. He's just saying that he was God's ordained person in this role. Whether he knew it or not, whether he acknowledged it or not, whether he did it well or not, God established him and God sovereignly enacted his will even through Nero. The rest of the Bible tells the same story. Pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar are told that they are in the position that they are in because it is God's will. Jesus said to Pilate at his trial, you would have no authority over me except 
that it be given, that it has been given to you from above. See, even Jesus said, yeah, you're in authority, but God has put you there. My Father has put you there. The authorities that exist have been established by God, and as Christians, we are called to recognize their position, respect their position, and place ourselves under their authority. And it's not because you feel like it, because sometimes you won't. And it's not because you agree with them, because sometimes you don't. It's because God has sovereignly said, these are the people who are in authority, and by submitting to them, we submit to God who is our ultimate authority. And that's what Paul says in verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. The person who breaks the law and rebels against the governing authorities is not simply rebelling against the, the standard of society. More significantly, they are rebelling against the, the authority that God has established, and thus they will suffer the consequences. Now, we'll come back to verse 3 in a minute, but look down at verse 4. Here Paul gives us the primary responsibility of government. Paul says, for, one, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. The Greek word here for agent is ektikeo, which, um, which as a verb is avenger. As a noun, it is vengeance. It is the same word that Paul uses in chapter 12, verse 19, when he says, um, do not seek vengeance for yourself. But leave it up to the Lord because God says it is mine to avenge. I will repay. It's the same word. What Paul is saying here in chapter 13 is that in God's place to avenge, he has ordained that the governing authorities are to be agents of vengeance. Not us. Where does he get that from? Genesis chapter 9. Because after the flood, God institutes or God gives the, the Noahic covenant where basically he institutes government so that government can be the protector and defender of humanity. That they will punish wrongdoers so that, that the dignity of man is protected. Now, is Paul the only guy in the New Testament to hold to this? No. Peter did too. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2, which, by the way, is written from Rome. Don't you think it's interesting that the two chief texts on, on human government in the New Testament are written to and from Rome, which was the, the seat of world government at the time? 1 Peter 2, verse 12. And by the way, Keep in mind, this is the same guy who pulled a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane trying to take out a government official, right? So this is not your model passive resistor. 
This is a guy who's ready to take people out. Verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. How is one of the ways that you can live such a good life that you reflect the grace of God to others? Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as, as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Did you catch that? Sent by God to punish those who do wrong. Peter is saying that government is a divine institution with the primary responsibility to punish evildoers. After Jesus had told him to put his sword away in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had come to understand the truth of the Noahic Covenant, that government is instituted by God. It is government's job to avenge. It is government's job to take care of that. And so we're to submit to that. So the first thing that we need to understand about government is that it is ordained by God and thus our posture toward it is to be one of submission. The second thing we need to understand is what it is there for, primarily. Primarily, biblically speaking, primarily, government is not meant to educate our children. Primarily, Government is not there to provide health care. Primarily, government is not there to, to define morals. Primarily, government is there to fix potholes. I'm just seeing if you're awake, all right? Primarily, government is there, according to Peter according to Paul, according to Genesis. Primarily, government is there for one reason, and that is to punish those who do wrong, to be a protector and a defender of human life because we are made in the image of God. As we saw last week, vengeance is not our business. It's God's business. And what God has done is delegate the responsibility for vengeance to government. Now, God has, God has ordained three institutions. The family, the church, and the government. The family was ordained by God to, to raise and educate children in the fear of the Lord so that they would know how to live life and not live evil lives, but live in reverence to God. That was what the family was instituted for. If, if somehow a kid didn't make it through and, and was continuing to live evil, well, the next institution is the church. And the church is there to hold to the truths of Scripture, to proclaim the truth of Scripture, to preach the gospel, whereby Sinners might come to faith and God can transform them from their evil 
so that now their evil behavior has been changed and now they're no longer living that way. So if you get by the family and you get by the church and you're still living evil, guess what's next? The government. And the government is there to punish the evildoer. To protect and defend. That's the government's job. I had a thought-provoking conversation yesterday with um, a really good friend of mine uh, discussing the role of government. He was in the first service, uh, so he heard me talk about it. But, um, but we, we were going round and round on what the government should do and what the government shouldn't do, and, and we disagreed on some of it, which we often do, but where we where we both agreed was that God has an ideal. And in God's ideal, biblically, government has a primary responsibility. And it's not to care for my mother in her old age. That's my job. Government's primary responsibility is not to educate my children. That's my job. And it's the church's job. The government's primary responsibility is is not to rehabilitate or reform. That's the church's job. The primary role of government is to protect and defend, to strike fear in the hearts of the wicked because it is God's agent of vengeance. And that's what Paul says in verse 3 of Romans 13. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Wouldn't you agree with that? If you're driving down the highway at 55, what are you doing? You got the radio on, you're just singing, you're, everything's good. It's fine. But if you're flying down the road at 80, what are you doing? You're scanning the horizon. You're checking the rear view. You're looking out for the law, right? And if you come over a hill and a patrol car is sitting there, your heart starts doing this, and you slam on the brake. Why? Because you are in fear of authority. But if you're just going 55, you can pass that patrol car, wave, you know. just You, don't, there, you have no concern. That's what Paul's saying is that if you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority, then do what is right, and he will commend you. Authorities are to be a cause of fear, not for those with good behavior, but for those who do wrong. And thus, verse 5 brings us to our response, which is actually the same as our posture. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Evil people submit to authority because they're afraid. But that's not why we submit to authority. We submit to authority because it's right. Because our conscience tells us it's right. Verse 6. 
This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You say, well, Keith, I can't submit and respect a government that is so corrupt. Well, while it's true it may be corrupt, we are not called to submit to the governing authorities because they've earned it. We're called to submit to them because they are ordained by God. The fundamental reason that we should respect and revere and submit to the governing authorities is because of the divinity behind the office, because of the divinity behind the badge. We respect and submit to government because of theology. Not because of what they've done or haven't done. And if you disrespect the governing authorities, you're disrespecting what God has ordained. Can you protest what you believe is not right? Absolutely you can. Just like Daniel did. Just like Peter did. But if you do, be prepared that you may go to the lion's den or to prison. It's just what part of submission is. Friends, I don't know if President Obama could be an elder in our church. I don't know if he's biblically qualified or not. But he is my president, and so I will submit to him. He is my president, and so I will respect him, and I will honor him because he is in that role. And God has ordained that he be there. We need to be praying for our president. We need to be praying for our congressmen and our judiciary. We need to be praying for our mayor and for his council. We need to be praying that God will give them wisdom that goes beyond themselves. We need to be praying for our police officers that they might uphold and enforce the law that they have been called to. Friends, do you see what our role, what, what our, the role of government and our responsibility to them is? Yeah, kind of, a couple of people. I know I've spent a lot of time on it, but it's important, especially in this season that we're in. The next few verses are pretty easy to summarize because Paul brings us back to love. After, after he talks about sincere love in chapter 12, verses um, 3 through 19, or um, uh, not something through 19, then he, he talks about how we relate to government, and then he brings us back to how we relate to each other. And it's really summed up in verses 8, 9, and 10. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Paul said in verse 7 that we are to be paid up in our commitments to one another. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If, if, if you have debt, pay, pay your debts. 
none of us is to, to back out on our commitments. But in the area of love, he says we are never paid up. Never, ever paid up. We are always under obligation. Why? Because God loves us. And therefore, we are to love others. 1 John says that we love because he first loved us. You see, for the Christian, love is not an option. Love is an obligation. He says, owe nothing to anyone except love. For he who loves others has fulfilled the law. The law in the Old Testament has 613 commands. And what Paul is saying is, you don't have to worry about the 613 if you do the one. Which is essentially what Jesus said too, right? Jesus said all of the law can be summed up in this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Which, when you boil it down, comes to one thing. Love. Paul says... In verse 9, he says, whatever commandments there are, they can all be summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, if I'll merely love my neighbor, I will fulfill all of the others without even being conscious of it. If I will love my wife, I will not commit adultery. If I will love my neighbor, I will not kill him. Right? If I will love my neighbor, I will not lie or steal from him. If I will simply love my neighbor, then all of the things that Phil read in verse 13, the dissension and the licentiousness and the sexual immorality and all that stuff, all that goes away because all of that is just simply gratifying the sinful desires that are all selfish. But if I love well, I won't do that stuff. He says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And he ends the chapter by saying, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What Paul is saying in these final verses of chapter 13 is that we should be full of the love of Christ and we should live such good lives that we bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 13 that the world would know that we are his by our love. Here's the thing. In our country today, in our evolutionary mindset, we have disregarded the designer and thus lost touch with the design. We are studying the details, but we've lost sight of the big picture. And when you lose touch with the infinite, then the finite loses all of its meaning. When you lose touch with God, the role of the husband, the role of the wife, the role of children, the role of family, the role of of church, the role of government, all of that gets bizarre when you lose sight of the big picture. In our country, we have educated our young people philosophically, religiously, scientifically, morally that there is no God and thus there is no standard of right and wrong. And if a universe 
is there by accident, then family is simply a sociological phenomenon. Church is simply a sociological phenomenon. Government is simply a tribal phenomenon. And everything then becomes relativistic. It all loses meaning. But if we bring it back to the, to the designer, who is love, then everything finds its rightful place. Friends, government can do a lot of things. And we can debate this position and that position and, and who's the best leader and all that stuff. And there's a lot of things that government can do. What should it, shouldn't it? But they, government has one primary role biblically, and that is to protect and defend. That's its job. To strike fear in the heart of the evildoer so that we can live in a safe society where the dignity of humanity is protected. That's government's job, primarily. Our responsibility is to respect and submit to our government it's to pay our taxes, it's to pay our debts, it's to honor our commitments, and to live out of the design with which we were created. And that is to love others well. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that our well-being is not in the hands of Mr. Trump or Secretary Clinton. It is not in the hands of Mayor de Blasio. It's in your hands. I'm so grateful that you are sovereign. And that you work through rulers even like Nero. So Lord, our trust is in you. Our, our faith is in you. Our, our hope is in you. And at the end of the day, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a respectful people. That as Peter and Paul both encourage us that we would live such good lives, meaning that we would be model citizens, that we wouldn't be bad-mouthing this person or bad-mouthing our government, but we would respect them and honor them because they are ordained by you. Lord, give us convictions. Help us stand by those convictions. But at the same time, let us honor those that you have put in authority over us. So, Lord, help us to understand at the end of the day when we do that, we are loving well. And we are representing you to the world. Convict us where we need conviction. Empower us where we need empowering. And by your grace... Help us be your witness in this world for your name's sake.